You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. So, I'm a shower person. I love a shower. It's got to have a good, generous flow of water, though. You know, none, none of this like piddly, kind of drippy showers. It's got to be a generous flow of water. And in fact, the bigger the flow, the better. I love to be drenched in the shower. You know that feeling? You're just there under the shower, just feeling that drenching. It's just so good. And in fact, I, I just can't get baths at all. I know there are some people here who are bath people, and that's fine, but I just don't get baths at all. I mean, by the time you filled the bath, you could have had a shower, got dried and got dressed. You're with me, you're with me, that's good. And, and you know, the other thing is, you know, you have your bath and then you kind of lie in that water, that soapy water with all that gunk that's come off your body. Now, okay, you might have less gunk than me, but, but even so, you know, just lie in all, all that soapy water. And if you want to wash your hair in the bath, you need a shower adapter. Well, just have a shower to start with, you know what I mean? So I'm a shower person, but if you're a bath person or a shower person, this is for you. And whether you've been a Christian all of your life, as Alec has, or you're not yet a Christian, this is also for you. So as some of you know, Lynn and I built our own house, and um, this was a few years ago, and we moved in just before lockdown. The timing was fantastic, so thank you, Lord, for that. And I was really looking forward to trying out my new showers. We have more than one. And so you can imagine the disappointment that I felt when I got into the shower, and it was just a piddly drip. You know, it was. I just, I stood in there on the ensuite in the shower, and I'm thinking, oh no, there really has to be more than this. There really has to be more. But, you know, the thing was, um, it was lockdown, and I couldn't, I couldn't get Scottish water out. I just had to kind of tolerate it for a long time. So a couple of years went by, and then finally lockdown was over, and I thought, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to notify a fault to Scottish water. And these two guys from Scottish water, really lovely guys, they came out, and uh, they came to my house, and I explained the situation. I explained about the shower, and the, and the guy said, um, well, I have to tell you, first of all, that our responsibility ends at your property boundary. You know, everything within the property is your responsibility. And I says, okay, well, fair enough. Well, well, let's just, you know, check the property boundary first of all. And lo and behold, they went to the property boundary, and there they, they've got this device for measuring the flow rate, and the flow rate was off the scale, really off the scale. You know, the water was like gushing out all over this thing, and he says, your flow rate is fine, mate. It's fine. And what about the pressure? And the pressure was fine as well. And I said, well, what's wrong with my showers then? And the guy said, well, you seem a nice guy. I'll come in, but you know, if you do anything, if you take any action based on my advice or what I find, then that is your responsibility. If you're happy with that, then I'll come in and you know, investigate for you. I says, deal, we're in, come on, in you come. And so they came in and we've got a ground source heat pump, uh, which means that we've got a pressure reducing valve, so I thought maybe it's something to do with the pressure, but the guy assured me it's nothing to do with the pressure. It's all about flow rate. It's all about flow rate. So the pressure reducing valve reduces the pressure to one bar, but that's fine. And then we looked at the, the main tap and then the flow rate to the washing machine, and that was fine. And I said, well, what can it be then? And he says, well, have you got a, 
have you, have you got a flow restrictor in your shower? And I said, what? I had no idea what a flow restrictor was. And, um, and so he explained to me what it was. He says, look, I'm not going to touch anything, but I'll explain to you, you know, where it is and where to find it. And uh, so I ran upstairs quickly. I like, removed the shower head. And lo and behold, hidden right inside the shower head was this little plastic, this little plastic device here. And it's called a flow restrictor. Why would anyone do that? Why would anyone put a flow restrictor in a shower? Anyway. So it reduces the diameter from about 12 millimeters to four little holes. It's a bit, like a bit like a button. Four little holes, each roughly two millimeters in diameter. And I did the maths. And it reduces the surface area to 44% of what it should be. So it's reducing the flow, the flow rate through that shower by 44%. And so the guy says, well, you know, it's your responsibility whether you leave the flow restrictor in the shower or you take it out as a... No, no doubt there, it's coming out. And I quickly took them all out of the, the other showers as well. And so I've now got really satisfying showers. And I can stand there and, and just get drenched in, in these showers. So yeah, come, come on round, come on round, have a shower. But there's four things that um, I, I learned about these little flow restrictors. The first is that they're hidden. You know, they're buried right deep in the, the center of the, the, the shower head. And I needed help to find it, so it's hidden. The second thing is that it's effective. It reduces the flow rate to less than half of what it should be. And the next thing is that it, it accumulates. Because it, it, it is effective at reducing the flow rate, that flow slows down, and then behind it, if there's any gunk in the water, it just accumulates on the back of it, and you could see that just starting to happen. And the fourth thing is that it's been there a long time. It was there right from the very beginning. So just four things to think about these flow restrictors. So I'm just going to ask you a question and then pray, and then we'll begin. So the question is, if the Holy Spirit, which raised God from the dead, lives within you, would you expect more fruit of the Spirit in your life? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Would you expect more evidence of the outworking of the Holy Spirit in your life? So that's the question that I'll leave with you. And now I'm just going to pray, and then we'll begin. So Holy Spirit, we just thank you for the work that you're doing in each of us gathered here today. Holy Spirit, just drench us now, Lord. Just flood this place. Just shine a light on anything that is restricting your flow in our lives, Lord, and the power of your, your spirit within us, Lord. Just shine a light on that, we pray. Just have mercy on us and work within us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So... The passage that we've got for today is John chapter 17. So it's, well, it's quite a long passage. It's, um, it's most of the chapter that I'll be going through, but I won't go through every verse, but, um, but I'm going to draw out the key points. But I think it's important to have some context first about this passage. This is just such an exciting passage of scripture. And in fact, chapters 13 through to 17, five chapters, is all about Jesus preparing his disciples for when he will go to the cross, when he will leave them. 
And so, you know, just a, a very quick recap of those, those chapters, a very quick recap. In chapter 13, we begin with Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And so he's showing by demonstration that he came to serve and not be served, and that we should behave in the, in the same way, that we should serve each other in the same way. And then he predicted his betrayal by Judas. And then he predicted Peter's denial, preparing Peter for what was about to happen so that he could recover from that. And then in chapter 14, he comforts his disciples and he explains to them, to to his disciples, that he is the way to the Father. In chapter 14, we read that I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then he promises the Holy Spirit. So at this point in chapter 14, he's telling them about the Holy Spirit, promising that he will send this counselor to be with them when he goes. And then chapter 15, I just love this. This is part of my own testimony. If you've heard my testimony, it starts with the vine and the branches. This is a a picture of intimacy with us being intimately connected with Jesus, our Lord and Savior, so that we cannot bear any fruit unless we are connected. We're the branches, Jesus is the vine, the Father is the vine dresser, and we need to be connected into Jesus to bear any fruit, any lasting fruit in our lives. But then after that, he goes on to warn his disciples that the world will hate his disciples. In fact, the world already does hate his disciples. And that's a really strong word, and we'll come on to that in chapter 17. And then in chapter 16, Jesus then explains about the work of the Holy Spirit and telling them that it's a good thing that he's going, because otherwise the Holy Spirit won't come. And he's, he's preparing them you know, explaining to them in a way that they can understand, in a comforting way, that he must go and, and the Holy Spirit will come. And then finally, in chapter 17, we have Jesus praying. He prays for himself, for his disciples, and for everyone who will believe in him through their message. Now, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and, uh, and correcting and, and, uh, and, and teaching and righteousness. But some passages of scripture are especially important. And I believe that this passage, chapter 17, is one of those. Why? Because it's Jesus talking. But not only that, it's Jesus praying. Not only that, it's Jesus praying for you and for me for right now. And not only that, these are his final words before he left. And so before we, we just go into the scripture of chapter 17, there's just three, uh, three Ps that uh, I'm going to draw out, uh, out of this. And, and the first is that Jesus has paid the penalty of our sin. And the last P, because I'm going to go in that order, is that Jesus will remove the presence of our sin. And then the middle, the middle P, which is really the heart of the message for today, is that Jesus is breaking the power of sin in our lives. And that's what this message is all about today. So I'll just start to read. I'll start to read from uh, verses 1 to 5. It says, After Jesus said this, so this is, he's with his disciples, he's just been explaining to them that he's got to go. So after Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, 
that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in the presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So two messages from this kind of opening, uh, opening prayer. Um, the first one, in fact, I'm going to go for uh, verses 2 and 3 first. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So if you're not yet a Christian, this is, this is for you. This is... This is what Jesus is saying we must do in order to be saved. He's saying that knowing Jesus and knowing God through Jesus is the way to eternal life. This is not just a, a head knowledge, you know, a fact that you know, Jesus is God's son and, and you know, he is you know, with God and, and that God is, you know, does exist. It's not, a, it's not a factual head knowledge. It's a, it's a relationship knowledge. It's knowing personally Jesus. And um, earlier in the gospel, John puts this really succinctly. He says in John chapter 3, verses 16 to 18, he said that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And those who don't believe in Jesus remain condemned, but those who do believe in Jesus are not condemned. So what is all this about eternal life? You know, what's the, what's the opposite of eternal life? Well, it's death. And why, why are we condemned if we don't believe in Jesus? It's because of sin. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty of our sin. If you think about it, Every nation has its own legal system and its own penal system. So if you break the law in that country, then you are punished under that penal system and your, your punishment is, is fitting to the crime, to the law that you've broken. But there's a higher power, there's a higher legal system and a higher penal system. And rebellion against God, which is sin, is punishable by death. But Jesus, Jesus has paid the penalty of that sin once and for all. This is in the past. And when we believe in him, we receive the gift of eternal life. Paul said, the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. But there's more. Something else happens when we believe in Jesus. And I just love this bit. Um, there was a guy called Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee, a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night because he wanted to learn from Jesus. And Jesus explained to him that we have to be born again in order to inherit eternal life. And Nicodemus was, well, you know, what's all this born again stuff? And Jesus explained to him that we've got to be born of water and also the spirit, that flesh gives birth to flesh and spirit gives birth to spirit. So when we believe in Jesus, then not only are we not only is our, our penalty, our punishment paid for by the blood of Jesus on the cross, but also we are filled with the Spirit. And, and that's really, really important. So the same Spirit which 
raised Jesus from the dead, lives within you and me. Now, in Christian theology, this is all called justification. So it just means to be declared righteous before God. So in summary, when we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, because he's paid the penalty of our sin, we are declared righteous before God because of his blood on the cross, and we are born of the Spirit. So that was just all in those two verses. Um, so the next two verses, um, which, are, which are verses four and five, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Jesus is making it clear here that he was with the Father. Now, with the Father in heaven, there is no sin, there is no death, there's no decay. Wherever there's sin, there is death and decay, but there's no sin, death, and decay in heaven. And Jesus was there, but he gave all of that up to come to earth, to become fully human, fully God. And so he came to a place where there is sin and death and decay, but Jesus kept himself separate from that. He, he, although he was tempted, he, he never sinned. And then finally, when he died, death couldn't hold him because he was without sin, and he rose again and he returned to the Father. So at some point in the future, when we die, as Paul puts it, when our earthly tent is destroyed, when our body is laid in the ground, then we will be raised with Jesus in glory. And so in, in Christian theology, this is called glorification because we have a new heavenly body. And we will be uh, in a place where there is no sin. So Jesus will have removed the presence of sin. I'm just going to read you a, a couple of passages. One is um, from Philippians 3. But our citizenship, sorry, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Our citizenship, friends, is in heaven. And I'm just also gonna read uh, briefly from Romans chapter eight, verses 28 to 30. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among the many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So at some point in the future, the presence of sin will be removed from us through Jesus Christ, and we will be raised in glory with him with new bodies. So we now have the bookends of where we're going with this passage. But before we get to the real heart of the message, there are two more really important points that, that Jesus makes. And so in verses 11 and 12, he says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. 
It's just so important to know the power in Jesus' name. There is power in his name. His name has authority over all of the earth, in all of the universe. The name of Jesus has power and authority. And then moving on to verse 13, he says, or he prays, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. And it's really important that whatever I say going on from here, that it's really important that that message is understood. That the reason why Jesus is praying for us is so that we will have the full measure of his joy within us. Not part of the measure, but the full measure of his joy. And believe me, there is nothing in this world, there's nothing that this world can offer. No honor, no experience, no amount of money, no pleasure that matches to the joy of knowing Jesus. And it's for that reason that Jesus is saying this. He doesn't want to beat us up and say, you know, you've got to strive harder, you've got to strive for purity, you've got to strive to be absolutely holy. He's saying he wants us to have his full joy within us. So hear that message that it's all about his joy. Okay, so we're getting close now to the heart of the matter. And uh, the next passage is uh, verses 14, and six, 14 to 16. So Jesus says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So what does this mean? What does this mean to be kind of not of the world? And, and why, why do we need this protection? And why does the world hate us? So what I'm going to say now may sound offensive, it may sound uh, exaggerated, but Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, I just don't want you to be deceived. The war that the enemy is waging in the spiritual realm to gain control of your life and your soul is every bit, it's every bit as deceptive and murderous as the war that Russia is raiding, is is waging to gain territorial control of Ukraine. The tactics of the same Jesus said that Satan was a liar and the father of lies and a murderer from the beginning. Those are his tactics. He uses lies and murder, deception and violence, accusation and brutality. They are his weapons. That's his nature. That's his character. So I'm just going to share a a picture, a map of um, the former Soviet Union, because I think think to to understand how it is that we can be in the world but but separate from the world when we become Christians uh, is really useful. And and I think, you know, this is is accurate, this is biblical, and this is current. So here you've got a, a picture of the former Soviet Union countries. And, and all of those countries there were part of the Soviet Union. 11 is Russia today, and 14 is Ukraine. 
So before the collapse of the Soviet Union, Ukraine was part of Russia. And that's like before we're saved, before we become Christians, we are part of the world. We're born into sin and we are part of the world. But when we become Christians, we become separated from the world. We become separated. And just like in 1991, and the collapse of the Soviet Union, Ukraine became an independent country. It had its own government, its own legal system, its own, its own boundaries. And, and, and Russia has always hated that. Russia has always hated the fact that U Ukraine is independent. And in the same way, the enemy hates the fact that we no longer belong to him, that we are no longer of the world. And so Russia has been waging a war, has been backing separatists in the east of Ukraine ever since. Um, and then when Ukraine was weak in 2014 and unable to uh, defend itself, Russia just went in and annexed the Crimean Peninsula. And it's the same with us. When we are weak, and each of us will know those situations when we are weak and vulnerable, but the enemy will try to take advantage of those times and will try to gain territory, will try to sow lies and deception in, within us. It's really important as well. I'm just going to read um, from Ephesians uh, 6.12, first of all. So this is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That is our struggle. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world, on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So there's a couple of words in here, strongholds. So what are strongholds? And you know, what is, why is it important to take every thought captive? The truth is, the battle is in our mind. That's where the battle is being fought. And, and what are these strongholds? Well, if you think about, again, Ukraine, the situation in Ukraine, when you, Ukraine became independent in 1991, uh, all of the citizens within Ukraine, they became citizens of Ukraine. But in the east, in the Donbass region, uh, many people were there who, although they became Ukrainian citizens, their heart was still in Russia. They still spoke Russian, they still identified themselves as Russian. And that gave a mandate, that gave legitimacy for Russia to invade and, um, and, and exert uh, pressure to, to oppress the rest of Ukraine. So that's what a stronghold looks like in, uh, in a country. But what about us? What does a stronghold look like in us? So in fact, I'm going to come on to that in this next verse, because this next verse is the heart, is the heart of, of this message, I believe, and the heart of the message for today. In verse 17, Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. 
It's a simple sentence. What does sanctify mean? Well, sanctify means to, to set apart, to separate, uh, to separate from sin, to purify from sin, and to separate unto God. It's a, it's a process of becoming more holy, of, of becoming saint-like. And Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. If you think about it, when Jesus was tempted in the desert, he held on to the truth of the scriptures when he resisted the temptation. After he'd fasted for, for 40 days and 40 nights and he was hungry and the, the devil tempted him in, in various ways, he resisted that temptation by quoting from the scriptures. And later, Jesus, in, in uh, John 8, he tells us that if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so Jesus is praying that we will be protected and sanctified and made holy through his teaching, through his word. So the truth is, that we all face trials and temptations and difficulties and suffering. And, and if, you, if you think that you're the only person in a certain situation, then it is a lie from the enemy. For we all face these. We maybe not be facing them all at the same time or all to the same extent, but we all face them. And it's not these things in themselves which is the issue. It's our response to trials and temptations and suffering that either leads to bondage or to freedom. So it's that response that leads to bondage or to freedom. Jesus resisted temptation um, and he remained free. So just as, as an example, um, you know, if, uh, if you're tempted one day in a certain way and you know that that is wrong but you give in to that temptation, then um, and, and then you do the same thing the next day or the next time you give in to that temptation, then a pattern, a destructive pattern of thinking emerges, which over time can become a stronghold. And so if you do give in to temptation and you repent, then, then you know, Jesus is right there. He's right there with you to draw you back and to restore you. Yeah. And conversely, if you're facing temptation and and you, you know that it's, it's wrong, you, you stand on the truth and you resist that temptation in Jesus' name, then you, and you do that again and again and again, over time you build a history of trusting in God and gradually you become sanctified, you become separated from the power of sin. I have to say, and it's important to know this, that things like greed and lust and hatred and unforgiveness these are all deceptions. They're all deceptions because they substitute for wholehearted trust in our Heavenly Father's provision and His limitless love for us. They're deceptions because they promise everything and deliver only death. They're deceptions because they produce no fruit in our lives. They cannot protect us and they cannot provide for us. But the root of many of these deceptions is, is often an experience that happened a long time in the past. And Pam posted on the, um, the Connect group uh, a prayer request 
yesterday for a family, a mother and, and, and children who were on the bus coming back from Falkirk. And she was right to post that prayer request because the mother was, was cursing and swearing at her children. And depending on how those children responded or respond to, to that cursing from their own mother and this situation, this, this experience they have when they're young, depending on how they respond to that, that can lead you know, overall to a destructive pattern of thinking and to strongholds being formed in the future. And I just want to say something as well about, about suffering. Because I know that there are many who are suffering in this church today. And I know that for some, the suffering is long-term. It's been going on a long time. I know the suffering is acute, that it's daily, it's hourly, it's by the minute. And sometimes it just becomes unbearable. And the enemy's plan in this suffering is to lead you into bondage. But Jesus' plan is to deliver you from that. And so please, please hear me correctly when I say with, with compassion and, and empathy that although I cannot imagine what that suffering is like for you, I just urge you not to allow the enemy a foothold. So spirits like spirits of, of anger, spirits of, of envy of others who are not suffering in the same way, spirits of self-pity, just don't allow those those spirits to gain a foothold, but in, instead turn to Jesus and allow him to bring healing. I cannot promise that he'll bring physical healing in that time, but he can and he will, he definitely will bring spiritual and emotional healing through that. There's um, uh, just in the news recently, there was Dame Deborah James, who uh, she, she became a dame because of her response to suffering from bowel cancer. And, um, and she was made a dame because it is so difficult. You know, her example, when she was faced with bowel cancer at a young age, and, you know, she, she used that. Uh, she was open about it, and she used it to, uh, to help others. And because of that example, she was made a dame. And it's really hard. And that just shows how hard it is. Um, but any, anything else, any... The devil, as I say, he wants to use that suffering as a way to, uh, to bring us into bondage. But Jesus, who is victorious, wants to bring us freedom through that. In uh, the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, Jesus uses the, the name Baalzebub for the devil. Literally in Hebrew, it means Lord of Flies, and um, it's often translated as prince of demons. So what have, what have flies and demons got in common? Well, flies are attracted to dung and blood, and demons are attracted to trauma. Well, they're attracted to sin and trauma. So dung and blood, sin and trauma. And it's one of the reasons why the enemy loves wars, because in a trauma situation, they're is a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of sin, a lot of trauma, and that's where he, uh, he can really have a field day. But there is good news. There is good news. And so we're still, we're still on verse 17 here, by the way, but I just want to pause and just share with you 
um, a vision that the Lord gave me a few years ago. So this was before we were here, before we were worshiping on a Sunday in the town hall, uh, and we were, you know, we were worshiping over, worshiping over the road in the, the Riverview Hub building, and it was in the middle of the worship set uh, that the Lord gave me this, this picture of a galleon, this magnificent old galleon. And um, so a bit like the picture of the galleon, which is, which is up there uh, in the town hall, but as I say, it was before we were in the town hall, except the galleon was going the other direction. It was going from right to left, not left to right. And the colors were so vibrant. I mean, the sky was this, oh, it was just this um, rich blue azure color. And the sea was that, you know, that absolutely beautiful, like marine blue and green, the sort of colors that you see on all of the holiday magazine brochures to entice you to spend some money and go on holiday. It was that kind of color. And the, the sails were dazzling white, absolutely brilliant. It was a picture of beauty. And initially, the, um, uh, the sails were only partially filled. They weren't really filled. There was a little bit of wind, but not very much. Um, and then right at the end of the vision, the wind picked up and filled those sails and the galleon started to move, and then the vision ended. And I just felt this was such an encouraging picture of revival. You know, this was, this was us as individuals within the church. This was the church. The, this is how God sees us. He sees us in this beautiful, magnificent way. He delights in us, and he's sending his spirit. There will be revival. So I shared that. I don't, some of you may remember I shared that in the, in the service, just as Rosie shared with us uh, this morning. But the very next week, at exactly the same point in the service, in the middle of the worship block, the Lord gave me the continuation of that vision. And so it started with, yeah, the, the azure blue skies and the marine blue and green sea, the dazzling white sails. The sails were filled, but it was clear, it was immediately clear that there was something wrong. This, this vessel, which was designed to cut through the water at speed, was hardly moving. It was moving, but it was hardly moving. There was something holding it back. And then the Lord just showed me underneath the water, and there attached to the bottom of the boat, the bottom of this ship, was a thick chain, a really thick chain, and extended all the way down into the dark depths, you know, out of view. And then around this chain were thick strands of seaweed, so similar, they looked similar actually to the, to the thistles which are, which are up on the wall, except they weren't thistles, they were seaweed. And I believe that this was a picture, this was a vision for me personally, uh, but also for the church as a whole and for others within the church. And the journey that I've been on you know, since then uh, is, is, is the reason that I'm, I'm sharing with this, you, this with you now. So this chain that was attached to the bottom of the ship had the same characteristics as the, uh, the flow restrictor that we spoke about earlier. So it was hidden, it was effective at reducing the flow, the, the speed of the boat, the boat and it, was, uh, it accumulated, it accumulated things, it accumulated the seaweed, and it had been there a long time. And if you look at those words, hidden, effective, accumulate, and long time. They spell the word heal, and that is what I believe that Jesus wants to do with us today. So if you remember, I'm just looking at the time there, I need to, uh, need to speed up a little bit, but um, if you remember, when Jesus first began his ministry, 
he, he, this is after he'd been tempted in the desert and he opened the scroll of Isaiah, he read from it. And um, in fact, I'll just very quickly read from that, from Luke chapter four. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the, the year of the Lord's favor. It's Jesus' work to free the captives, to free the oppressed. It's his work, and that's what he wants to do in us. But just as Rosie shared earlier, and that was just such a wonderful picture in season, this bird that was in the cage, and the cage was open, but it didn't fly away. We need to cooperate with the work of God. We need to cooperate. When, if, you, if you think about the, the greatest commandment, Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So basically with your will, we need to cooperate with the work of God. And Paul writes uh, to the church in Rome, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So just to recap on verse 17 then, uh, so this is all about Jesus breaking the power of sin in our lives now. It's about this process of sanctification, of being freed from, from sin. And we need to cooperate with Jesus, with our heart, our soul, our mind in that. Okay, we've just got two very, very quick points, and then I'll go into the, um, the, uh, the response. So the next, the next point here is um, verses 18 and 19. So Jesus says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. It's important to know that being sanctified and being sent are inseparable. Jesus was sanctified, he was separated, and he was sent. And that is, that's what's required of us as well. That ship was designed to cut through the water at speed, not poodle along like a pedalo. And that shower of mine was designed to dispense a, a, a really satisfying flow of water, not a piddling drip. So sanctification and being sent go hand in hand. And then finally, the, the final point, uh, Jesus is praying for unity. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. And I'll just stop there for now. That if you can imagine that unity that oneness of heart and purpose that there is in the Godhead between God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus wants that same unity with us. He wants us to be in, united in the same way with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and with each other. And so that's, that's such a privilege. That's such a privilege to share in that unity. Okay, just in the interest of time, I'm going to just very quickly recap. So we've had the three Ps. We've had, uh, in the past, Jesus has paid the penalty of our sin. 
we are justified, declared righteous before God, and we have the Spirit living within us. In the future, when we die, we will uh, be removed from the presence of sin by Jesus Christ. And we, uh, our bodies will, uh, the earthly tent will be destroyed and, and we will be clothed with glorious bodies. We will be glorified with God the Father. But right now, Jesus is continuing his work of sanctification in our lives. He is removing from us the power of sin in our lives. But we need to cooperate with him, as Rosie shared with that budgie, with that bird in the, in the cage. We need to cooperate. We need to actually leave the cage, not to be confined or not to be so comfortable in the cage that we don't want to leave the cage. As you know, prayer is our most powerful weapon. And prayer is always on offer. You know, at the end of any service, at any time, we can pray for each other. And I would, I would encourage us that, you know, almost if you're in a conversation, just don't wait for someone to ask you for prayer. Just offer prayer if you feel that it is required. So prayer is always uh, available. But the thing is, sometimes with strongholds which have been there a long time, uh, oppressions which, which are deep-rooted, then we need something a bit more than that. We need help, just like I needed the help of these guys from Scottish Water. Uh, and over the last few years, I've have had help from other people as well to identify strongholds, enemy strongholds in my life, and have been set free from them. And so what's being offered now as a church is, is something more, something in addition. So if you feel that there should be more fruit of the Spirit in your life, if you feel that there's something holding the flow of the Spirit back in your life, then please feel free to come and, and speak to one of the leaders, so that's Tom or Jessica or Andrew or Margaret or David or myself, and we'll have an initial conversation and then we'll work out whether uh, it's appropriate or we'll plan in a session. So a session might last an hour to an hour and a half and you'll be led through a gentle process of, of going back in time to try and understand whether or discern whether there's any um, rationalized sin, so sin which is unrepentant, uh, if there's any need for repentance, if there's any need for forgiveness, forgiving of other people, you know, who've hurt you really badly in the past and they haven't been forgiven from the heart, to discern whether there are any areas of oppression, any lies of the enemy which have been believed so that we can renounce those lies together, we can break the power of the enemy, those spirits at work in those lies, and in the authority under the name of Jesus Christ, just command them to leave. And then finally, just pray the Father's blessing on you. So if you would like to take up that opportunity to have a, a session, hour, hour and a half, it would be uh, completely confidential. It'll probably be led by me um, initially, uh, and there will be an intercessor, um, perhaps an observer. So just maybe four people in the room. It'll probably be in the, the Riverview Hub building. But please do come and see one of the leaders and we'll will plan that for you. I testify, I testify that uh, it has helped me. It has set me free. It's helped me to cooperate with the work of Jesus in my life. And I just encourage you to do the same. I'm just going to quickly pray. Father God, we just thank you.